Thank you, worship team. So grateful for these moments in his presence. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it's hard to stay put together when you're in his presence in the human sense of what we consider keeping it together. You know, we see people get emotional and we're like, ah, keep it together, you know, don't have a meltdown. Um, in the presence of God, there's a uh, the, the, he's okay with us just being vulnerable, being transparent, being real, and having real conversation with him. And I, I just hope that you have come to know the Lord as someone who's near, as a friend who's closer than a brother, that he's not a God afar off, that we've got to build some special tower or go to some special geographical place to find him and to be where he is. But we can simply open our our heart, the door of our heart is really the only thing that he asks for us to open and we can immediately be in the place where he is. I love the line that says, I just want to be where you are and I love the word that came that that's actually what he wants too. He wants to be where we are and that's why he came to live on the inside of us. If he didn't want to live there, do you think he would? He's God. He can live wherever he wants. He fills the universe with his presence and yet when it came uh, time to represent his personhood in in the earth that he made, he made us man in his image, men and women in the image of God. We've been created. And then we fall into sin, and he's like, no, I didn't change my mind. I still want to live on earth in that representation, in that form. And so he comes, and he brings salvation for us, cleansing of the, the earth suit, the temple of clay that we've been given so that he can then once again come and by his spirit live on the inside of us. And I just love that the Lord just preached uh, a great message for us this morning already, and uh, whatever else I've got to add to that, uh, I know it's the, Holy, same, the same Holy Spirit that'll lead me through uh, some of what I have here on the page in front of me, and yet I know he's already spoken so much. Again, I say, I started at the beginning saying, my prayer is that you know him in this way. If you do not, uh, this is a good time to get to know him in that way, because uh, things are heating up. We recognize that he has a final plan for earth, and uh, he's coming back for a bride who will be made ready who will be uh, prepared to greet him and to meet him in the air. And uh, so we've got to always be of that mindset that says, I want to know you more than I did last time I was in your presence. That's the beautiful thing about his presence. He's not trying to hide who he is from us. The whole goal of scripture, the goal of, of him coming to us was to reveal himself to us. Scripture reveals who he is, but in his presence, in the worship, in in that togetherness that we experience, he's also there to reveal more of himself to you, more of who he really is and more of how much he loves you. My prayer is that you'll make that uh, something that doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. I know we are into a new year and there's a whole lot of folks that'll go ahead and, um, well, let's just say they'll be at the gym on Monday morning or Tuesday morning whenever the gym opens because that's just what humans do. We think that a calendar, a uh, date on a calendar will somehow magically inspire us to become more uh, resilient than we were previous to that date on the calendar, and unfortunately, uh, some people never learn from their mistakes, I guess I could say it that way, and, and so we still make resolutions sometimes, but uh, we heard very clearly uh, in, in so many different ways uh, that the reality of, of God and his love for us, it's moment by moment. We shared Christmas together last Sunday, and uh, it was really cool to be able to have Christmas Eve on a, on a Sunday so we could get to be together, and the children did such an incredible job, and just the reality of God meets us in moments, and those moments when they're strung together, they become a lifetime, and I just hope that you're making yourself available to him in the moments of your life, and I hope and pray that 2024 and every uh, day that he gives us, 
is, is, is a day that we're appreciative for, that we're just able to say thank you for. You know, I know we preach it and we say it and we read it, but thankfulness is, is it's like a, oh, thank you. I'm thankful. Good. I'm so thankful I got water. Thankfulness is a magnet for the presence of God. A person who is thankful is actually someone who's walking in the will of God. Did you know that? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, then everything give thanks. That's his will for you. We don't have to understand everything that we go through, everything that we're walking through, but we do give him thanks when we're walking through it because he's promised to work it all together for good, and it's a high form of faith and trust to say, okay, we're walking through this, but you know what? You promised it's going to come out for my good because you love me, I love you, and it's going to work. And we can find thankfulness in that, and it's going to mark us. I promise you it will mark you different from the rest of the people that surround us in this culture because they are only thankful if things are going their way. And things are going to go less and less the way of people who are self-centered and self-focused and aren't able to be thankful in the midst of what they're going through. So that's just one of the primary things that will mark us different. And so practice it. Practice being thankful when someone pulls out in front of you. Um, it's actually hard at first. It's hard at first. But you can learn that there's a lot to be thankful for right there. Imagine if you had hit them. Then it's a little harder to be thankful, of course. But not the worst thing that can happen, especially if you didn't hit them. But practicing that, it, might, it seems so contrary. If you're driving next to someone in the car, and you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that was really close. But I know you, you, know, you kept us from that. Rather, we usually get pretty, maybe it's just the guys that do it, I don't know. I have seen some, some ladies that drive a little bit vindictive, let's call it, vindictively driving. I think it, that, that crosses over the, the gender boundary there. Um. But back to, I just want to mention for Christmas, you know, I, who was here for Christmas Eve? Most of us, right? Yeah, wow, good. So you, if you, maybe you watched online, whatever, but when you see this happening up here, it's hard, to, it's hard to really convey with words how much goes into making all that happen. And I always feel like I have to try because I know the sacrifice that goes in. But a lot of what's happening up here, uh, at least you get to see that. But then there's the back of the room, and there's a whole lot of things that are going on with that little window up in the top there. And uh, in other places as well, there's camera feeds, there's people running up and down stairs, checking volumes on other uh, places where we're broadcasting to, and it's just a whole lot that goes into that. And I just wondered if we could say a thank you to our sound and audio ministry team that serves the whole body that way. I'm looking for Bob. Where'd he go? Bobby? He's downstairs? Eating bagels? What's he doing? <laughs> Is he busy? All right, guys, sorry. The kids, the youth wanted to call him up here and sing happy birthday to him since today's his, his birthday, so. You guys should have, you know, this was their idea. I'm just trying to facilitate their plan. You know, they're still learning how to put a good plan together. You should have told him you had a bagel up here and you needed to talk to him or something. But, uh, you know, Pastor Bob and Esther, they not only head up our youth ministry, youth pastors, uh, but they also, they do so much here at the church. Esther's so involved in our office work, administrative work, putting slides and emails together. And Bob's up in the sound booth overseeing the team that's up there. We've got, probably got Justin around someplace. The two of those, Justin, the two of those guys, they just put so much into teaching our young kids. The beautiful thing is that it's not just them up there, but it's their whole, one of you guys is going to start it out. All right. Who's starting it? 
No, let one of them start it. Don't, don't start it for him. Whose idea was it? Whose? David. Come on, buddy. Start it off. There's your man. Birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Robert. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Woo! Love you, Bob. All right. That'll teach you to have good ideas and get the pastor involved there. <laughs> hey, you started out in the perfect key. I always start it too low. No, I mean, no. Um, while we're in the, in the business of just uh, covering some family business, we're going to have some classes starting, not this coming Sunday, but on the 14th of January. So it won't be the next Sunday, but the next one. And uh, the one class will be just, we feel like it's foundational. We're starting a new year. Um, so we just want to cover basics of what we believe as a church family, as believers, just as Christians, what the Bible teaches us about who we are now that we've been born again and we're saved from the wrath which is coming, but we've been given new life in Christ. And so those classes are going to be two types of, well, they'll be different, different in this way. The one will be a take-home that you'll have a, you'll have a little booklet that you can work through at your own pace. We suggest that you try to do it in two months to three months so that it's not just collecting dust someplace, but just as the year is starting, we feel like it's important to know what the foundations are. What's the, what's the baseline of what we can agree on about what identifies us as, as followers of Christ? And so there will be a class that will be up here at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. It will be called our Core Values class. It will be taught by uh, Pastors Rich and Diane Caliendo, and they will uh, just cover the basics of what, what it is that we believe. Now, you can do both. You can grab a booklet and come at 9 o'clock and sit through that class um, but there's also the possibility you can't come out on a Sunday at 9 o'clock. And so we want to make it available to anyone who uh, is either becoming a member here or considers themselves a member but doesn't really know maybe some of the basic texts of Scripture that we feel are the critical ones that establish us as, uh, the, as King's Fire Church. Every church has different uh, emphasis, different beliefs perhaps. Um, and these are foundational to who we are and maybe will help you understand maybe why we worship the way that we do. Uh, why we give sacrificially the way that we do, why we minister in the, in the community the way that we do, um, just some of the things that, that are our primary markers and what are, what's important to us. We're going to cover those. And the class up here is going to go, is it 8, 10, 12 weeks, 11 weeks? It'll, it'll just be a couple of months, but we're going to just be led by the Spirit. Uh, there will be some folks uh, speaking into those classes uh, as well to just exercise voice. But is that clear to everybody? We just feel like foundations are important, two ways that you can you're shaky on any of it, you can get solid about it, a take-home booklet that'll be available, but the thing is this, for the take-home booklets, we need you to sign up at the back, we need your contact information, we want to make sure we don't, uh, we actually build these, we actually put them together with a little, so there's a little work that goes into it, we believe it's important and we're going to make that happen for you, but we need to know that you want one and that you're going to go through and, and, and complete it. Any questions that you have, if you do the take-home uh, way of doing it, we will be available to you as pastoral team. We'll answer your questions. We'll help you through it if you have anything that you need help with. Uh, but we just also believe it's important because we're going to keep encouraging. As this year unfolds, we're going to encourage more people to get involved, whether it's opening your living room to host a small group of, of believers, worship together, pray together, read the word together, uh, whether it's getting involved in Sunday school or one of our outreach ministries, uh, helping with the, the building and grounds as spring comes. You know, there's always need and, and place for you to be involved. 
But when that happens, we like to make sure that you know the foundations of what we believe. Because I can promise you one thing, if we're going to stand for the light of Christ, if we're going to stand for truth, this, any group of people that does that on the earth, as things get darker, they're going to come under extreme uh, attack, fire, ridicule, um, sometimes physical and sometimes just emotional and verbal. But the reality is you've got to be strong in your foundation. So if you want to sign up to be a part of who we are, you really need your foundation strong. And that's why we insist, if you want to serve in any ministry, that you uh, either come to the 9 o'clock class, become familiar with what we believe, or take the pamphlet home, or the little booklet home that's got just mostly just scripture. We want people to understand we're a Bible-believing church. We don't just make this up as we go along. Uh, people have tried that for centuries and thousands of years, and once, once churches begin to just kind of make it what fits the culture, it becomes very anti-Christ. It becomes something that actually degrades and minimizes who Christ is in reality, because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change with the culture. It'd be great if he did, because it would take a lot of pressure off of us. We could kind of just weave our way through and be touchy-feely. But the reality is Jesus stands for truth. He is truth. He's light. And uh, the Bible's clear. Darkness does not appreciate light. Because when you're in the dark, you can hide your deeds. But when the light comes, the deeds are exposed. That's what Jesus said. And so he encouraged his followers, know that you're going to be under uh, duress and pressure and attack if you choose to stand for me. Because that's what it means. And so foundations are going to be so important. So I, I just preface what I want to share this morning with that. The other thing I want to mention is January has always been a month where we, uh, we have a church-wide fast. Now, we don't define that. We need the Holy Spirit to define that for you. What does that fast look like for you? Is it food? Um, is it sugar? Is it whatever it is? Is it uh, devices? I've heard a couple people say they are going to wean off of their electronics for a month and I thought wow somebody's listening um I mean I'm praying about it too I mean there's somehow we managed for thousands and thousands of years and now somehow in about 12 to 13 years it's come to where we have a hard time managing without some of these things and you've got to really ask yourself did did we get weaker because I don't think we got stronger I think we got weaker and technology got stronger to compensate the human weakness that we actually uh, find, I don't know, I'll just throw this in there, if you've ever watched the show called Alone, about surviving by yourself in the Arctic uh, weather, it's, it's pretty impressive. If you've not checked it out, it might be something that you consider, because it's really important to realize that there is, uh, we exist because people were once a lot tougher than we are now. And it would be just like the enemy to just weaken a whole group of those made in God's image, to get them so weak that he can just pull a couple things out of the power and the whole thing collapses and um, that's his mission unfortunately steal kill and to destroy and if we're made in God's image that puts you in a category that makes you automatically a target of all that is dark and all that is destructive and so I just pray that that's something that uh, just remind, remind you of that but in fasting it's a time for us to just you know pull, pull put some of the things that we use on a daily basis that might just kind of prop us up and help us feel like we're doing a like, we, I don't know, just comforts and things like that. It's not something you need to live with forever. Some people do. Uh, they're called that way. John the Baptist was one of those. Elijah was one of those. That they were called to live a separatist. Samson was called to do that. Many people in Scripture, uh, Jesus clearly, were called to live almost in a different way than the average person was called to live. And yet, we can all benefit from a season of fasting. And so pray about what that is. But we're not going to become legalistic and say, well, it's not about comparison. Well, I'm fasting this or that, and just let it be what the Lord shows you that he would like you to sacrificially 
not have in your life, not do, not consume, whatever that looks like for you, and, uh, and grow in that. Let him minister to you in that. Don't let it become a legalistic thing. Um, no one's going to judge you if you don't do anything, but I promise you, you'll grow if you choose to follow what the word of God clearly teaches. Jesus said, when you fast, do it this way. He didn't say if you fast. He encouraged them when you fast. And there's actually illustrations of how spiritual discernment and power and anointing are increased through fasting, through times of self-deprivation of what we want to do in the flesh to allow our spiritual life uh, to grow and to be stronger. And so that's as basic as I can present uh, fasting to you, but that's the way we see fasting at this church. And uh, we just would encourage you, let the month of January, start of a new, of a new calendar year, be a time when you reconsider uh, just maybe, I mean, some people might be afraid to even ask God what it would be for you. Um, that's probably the proof that you really need to ask him. <laughs> There's probably some stuff that he will, he will put his finger on and he'll say, hey, you know what? Let's grow closer together. One thing I've known from the times that I've fasted in my life, it's the times that I feel the closest spiritually to my Lord and Savior. And I believe that's because he also denied himself and did what he didn't want to do so that we could have his spirit living in us right now. And so it's just part of following Christ. And uh, there's so many places I could go. I, I, um, I've just asked the Lord. I feel like the prophetic word at the end about, about what we're hungry for and that he desires to satisfy our hunger, but not just with the things of, of earth. And now we're talking about fasting. So I, I feel like I need, to, I need to go in that direction. But I just want to begin with this one basic scripture in Galatians 2.20. Because it kind of sets the stage for everything else that we're going to do in this life called faith, called following Christ. It says this, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's one of the most concise representations of how the new creation reality of walking with Christ through faith works. It's that by faith we attach ourselves to what he accomplished on the cross through his crucifixion, and thereby we now walk in this life. We don't immediately go to heaven as soon as we believe, but he leaves us here to walk out in this world, on this planet, in the flesh, but we can't live the life which he's now given us to live in the flesh, except in this way, the verse says, and I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You will not walk a righteous, holy life by trying harder. You can only do it through faith in Jesus Christ. You can only fulfill what's been given for you to walk out if you're walking it by the power that comes when he now resides in you, in the flesh, inhabits you, as we heard, not just visits, but inhabits so that we can face the things that are in front of us to face. And I want to, if we don't start with that, if that's confusing to you, and you're like, well, I don't really know if I'm in that category yet, then the rest of it's kind of just words. But once you start from that point of realizing it's not you anymore, you've got to come to a place where you identify the old me is gone and dead, now the new me is not me. I'm doing things, I'm loving, I'm forgiving, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling guilty about things that never used to bother me. What is that all about? It's about Christ is now in you, and so now it's his mind that's beginning to exercise itself over your natural uh, reality. We're transformed through the renewing of our minds, the way that we think, the way that we see the earth. It's no longer hopeless and dark. We see the darkness, but we don't become hopeless because of it. 
We feel encouraged that now it's time to shine brighter than ever before because it's getting darker. You see, there's, the world's just going to get more and more hopeless. We're going to get more and more hopeful because we see and we know that as it gets dark, it's the promise that he's coming back to destroy the work of the darkness. And he's going to start by using his believers who are now the light of the world while we're here in the flesh with his life living inside of us. And so this is not a, it's not a way to become a better person. It's a way to become a brand new person. It's a way to be born again. A way to live a life that you didn't provide for yourself. Your parents provided you with a body to live in, but God provides you with a spirit to make the body come alive again. And this is the new creation miracle. It's a miracle. You can't just study your way into this. You can't memorize your way into this. You can't fast your way into this. You can't self-discipline. You can't, you know, give your body to be burned. And the Bible says you can do all these things. The most extreme thing you can do in your strength It won't profit you anything if love's not living in you. And love does not come from this world. It comes from the Father who is love. God is love. And we've got to take some of the weight off our shoulders and realize, okay, Lord, if you're in me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because it's you that's pushing up against my shoulder bones, and that's why we're walking through this thing, because the Spirit of God lives in us. You know what? I don't know where else to start this except... John chapter 6. I think we'll go to John chapter 6. I'm going to have to wing this because we're short on time, as if I ever do anything else. <laughs> I don't know why I preface what I say with those words, because that's sort of, it'd be shocking if I showed up with a, all my notes and an outline and actually followed it. You, would, you wouldn't know what to do. You'd probably think, where's Pastor Josh? Um, there's so much of this that's related, but it's far too much to fit in, in, in one message. But I feel like I've got to go with the prophetic word that we received at the end. Let me, if you're already in John 6, that's great. Don't, don't bother going to Isaiah 29 and verse 8. But I want to read this. This just jumped out. I don't know how, I, how this got into my notes. It says, in 20, Isaiah 29, 8, it says, It shall even be as when a hungry man dreams. And look, he eats. But he awakes, and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and look, he drinks, but he wakes, and indeed, he's still thirsty and faint, and his soul still craves. Does that make Does everybody understand what, what, what he's saying? And he's using this to describe, let me finish the last line. It says, so the, so the multitude of all the nations shall be who fight against Mount Zion. And let's let Mount Zion, we know it's Israel, it's the nation, but let's let it represent the, the holiness of God, the goodness of God, God himself, the place where God is. All who are going to fight against God and his goodness and his place, which is in our heart, that there's this frustration they're going to have because they're going to be as a hungry man who when, do you ever have a, go to bed hungry and you have hungry dreams and you're eating or maybe you went to bed thirsty and you just drink, I, I've had them, I can actually remember a couple of them. And you wake up and you're like, you're so thirsty that all of a sudden you realize, well that's why I was dreaming about being so thirsty because I am thirsty. But you're no less thirsty for having drank in your dream because it was just in this dreamlike state. It wasn't in the real world, although it was because you're still really in your bed and you're really asleep. But there's a part of it that doesn't affect you because you're asleep. And if we take this passage and we realize what's happening here, because if we look through other parts of the New Testament, we're going to discover that 
there's this constant call, awake, awake, awake out of slumber, awake, Christ will give you light. You know, come, wake up, be awake, be alert. Your adversary is like a roaring lion. He, stay awake, be vigilant. All these things, it's about being awake. And what this is talking about is being awake in the spirit. The next passage I'm going to read before we go to John 6, we'll still go there, is Haggai 1.6. And he says, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're still not filled with drink. And you clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages and puts it in a bag with holes. This is another scripture expressing the frustration that comes when you feel like you're doing all that you're supposed to be doing. And yet, when you wake up in the spirit realm, your soul is still craving and thirsty. Because the stuff of this world, the things of earth, the food of this life cannot satisfy you, the spiritual part of you, that's the, that's the, the awake part in the spirit. That part is still thirsty and hungry no matter how well you're doing in this life. No matter how much you're eating and drinking, there's still a soul part of you that when you awake spiritually, you realize, oh, I need so much more. What I thought was going to satisfy me in the dream called life, I now wake up in the spirit and I realize Something is still missing. My soul, my soul is still starving. It's still thirsty. It's still desiring. And so this is, this is part of what I want to look at in John chapter 6. Now, this is the story of the, it's not a parable, it's a story. Jesus told a lot of parables. This is not a parable. This is a story. This actually happened. This is not um, a metaphor. The miracle of the feeding of, of, of a multitude, what they say, 5,000 men plus women and children, and we'll just start in verse 1. I'm just going to read some of this. I, I feel like part of the challenge the Lord gave me for this new year and for being foundational about what I'm asking him to show me is that I've got to focus on, some of, on mostly what Jesus has had to say. The rest of the Bible is, is powerful for doctrine and for it's the word of God. It's the living, inspired word, living, breathing word of God. And yet when Jesus is speaking, there's something about the way that he operated, the way that he did things, and he was demonstrating to his disciples, this is how you do it. This is the way that you bring me to the people. And so I want to be built and rooted on that. I don't want someone else's interpretation all the time. I'd rather have just what Jesus is saying and ask him to enlighten and to breathe upon it so I can understand it better. Some of the stuff is really hard. A lot of people could get really thrown off if you just read what Jesus wrote because some of it is really extreme and you've got to ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you so you can see what he's trying to say. But after these things, in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Where shall we buy bread? Now, there's, there's different, each of the four Gospels gives account of the stories. There's multiple feedings of, of crowds full of people. And so there are other texts that show the disciples coming to Jesus saying, wow, there's this multitude. They've been here listening to you teach. Perhaps they're different stories, but the point is they all are about a miraculous moment when there's a crowd full of people and there's no way to feed them. But Jesus asked Philip a very specific question. I think it's incredible that John the Apostle decided to name who it was because the other ones just mentioned the disciples, plural, but he singles out Philip because Jesus is talking straight to him. He's asking him a personal question. Where should we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
In verse 7, Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them would only just have but a little. Do you see what happened already? Just one, Jesus asked a question and then there's a response. The response shows me that Philip did a whole lot of thinking for Jesus and came up with an answer that really wasn't to the question that Jesus asked. What does Jesus ask? Where shall we buy bread? He doesn't say how much will it cost. He doesn't say how are we going to make this work. He just says where will we source enough food for all these people? That's an interesting, just hold on to that for a minute. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And again, quantifying, what, what's the, using quantity to show why they don't have what they need to meet the problem that Jesus is asking them to meet. He's like, these guys, Jesus says they have to eat. Where are we going to get it from? They come up with, well, this is how much it will cost, but it won't be enough really for them to have much. The other one, the rest of the disciples said, well, we've got a few loaves and fish, but what's that among? They're just, they're so engaged with what they don't have that they can't miss, that they're missing the question of what Jesus is actually asking them. Let's go to Isaiah 55. I wasn't sure if we were going to go there, but we'll go there. I actually have to pull that up. We'll go right to verse 1. Prophet Isaiah in this passage is he's addressing the nation. And back then they didn't have, they couldn't send out like a social media blast to say, hey, meet me at the corner of whatever, whatever street. They would just yell out, and I won't do that. I know there's a couple people that are fighting to sleep, so I could probably help you if I just went ahead and yelled out the first word here. Uh, you'd thank me later. But I won't do it. I'd like to. It would be fun. Andy Elms would do it. And everybody would laugh. I'd do it. And everybody would think, that guy's weird. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's an exclamation point. So they would get, the prophet would come to a point where enough people could hear. And then they would just yell. Like, hey, right? Oh! As many times as it took to be able to get, I almost did it. Well, I should have just done it. He said, he gets everyone's attention. The crowd settles down. He said, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Imagine, the, imagine he gets everybody's attention and they're like, what is this idiot talking about? Come and buy but without money? Like, this, this is not even, they don't have an understanding. This is a group of farmers. They're agricultural. They're like, if I'm coming to get something, I've got to bring something so that we can have it a, a barter and exchange, you know, grain for milk or whatever the thing. Like, you don't just come. And, and then he uses the word purchase, buy, without money. But, but he doesn't say, come, it's free. He says, come buy and eat without money. He's totally messing with their natural minds. He's totally telling them something that is such an oxymoron that the average farmer probably just like, 
found a corner to get behind and just kept on going with his business. Because he's like, this dude, obviously, he's been out in the wilderness too long. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Come and buy, but don't bring money. Come and eat milk and wine, but without money and without, without price. Like, this is, this is lunacy. It doesn't make any sense. And then, he asked, then the prophet asks a question. And remember, he's speaking for God. He's not just his own ideas. He's, he's speaking from God's spirit to the people. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Verse 3 is the key. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall prosper and live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. What he's talking about eating and drinking has something to do with the ear. He says, say, bring your mouth to consume this. He says, bring your ear and your soul, the part that these folks are waking up from in these dreams, and their soul is still hollow and empty and still needing sustenance, is dry and barren after just having consumed and eaten and earned wages and they're just draining out of, of their lives. He's saying, bring your ear and your soul will prosper and live. We know Jesus, when he's in Samaria, dealing with the story of the Samaritan woman, the disciples bring him natural food, and he says, don't worry, guys, I'm not hungry anymore. And he's like, what do you mean you're not hungry? You've been out here all this time. We were hungry when we left to get food. Now we're finally back with it, and now you're not hungry. He says, I have a food that you don't know about. It's to simply do what the Father shows me to do. To do his will is the food that Jesus' spirit was sustained on. It wasn't natural food. It wasn't the food that they ate uh, out of a bag that came from the local market. It was a food that was more powerful than that because he didn't even need that once his spirit and his soul had been satisfied by hearing what the Father said and then fulfilling what the Father showed him to do. And so we'll skip through some of the story in John chapter 6 of the, the way this worked. I will point out one other thing in the other passages that go through the miracle, the feeding of the thousands of people, when the disciples are met with this in the other texts, they come to the conclusion, we need to send them away. They, they, unanimously, they come up with the same conclusion in the other passages. Send them away, that they can go and find food for themselves and for their families so that they don't faint out here in the wilderness. The disciples' best approach in solving the problem of the crisis that Jesus saw and wanted to meet in his own way his best followers, his, his like inner working group, the, the, the anointed, called out personally by Jesus ones, they said, you know what? This is too big for what we're equipped to handle. Send them away. Just remember that. I believe this year is going to be a year where we're going to see a lot of opportunity to send people away. I won't dig deep on that. The Lord will reveal in the right time what that means. There will be opportunity for you to either open your heart or to close the door and to send people. I say, hey, we've gone as far as we can go. It's on you now. Interestingly, Jesus, in the midst of those times when the natural set of systems to provide fall apart, he still has a way miraculously to meet the need. But it won't always come through a full stomach. It'll come through a full heart. Being satisfied with what truly satisfies. And so the story goes through, they feed them, there's the 12 baskets left over, and then now it's getting to be, they're, they're so enamored with Jesus after this, the, the crowd says, you know, this is truly the prophet in verse 14 that's come to the world, 
And Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him the king of Israel. Then he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Again, because he was not looking to meet a natural need. He was looking to fulfill a spiritual need that every human being has been born with. And that's to know Jesus. And let's keep reading so we can see that. Verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And verse 17, got into the boat and went over to the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. And then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. A miraculous moment happened there. Interesting that John skips the part about Peter walking on the water. Maybe it was a different time, I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, it does happen in the other ones. That's a pretty impressive story. That's for a different Sunday. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one that his disciple had entered, and Jesus had not entered the boat with them, and they had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus wasn't there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats, and they came to Capernaum too, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? In verse 26, Jesus answered them, and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Will give to you. Because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Remember the bread in Isaiah 55, the wine that's without cost and without, it's going to come at the cost of Jesus. Jesus says, I will give it to you. But you don't have to use natural money to get it. And he says, in fact, don't even spend your money on, this, on the bread and the food. Don't be so impressed with this food that I filled your belly with over in the other side. But be impressed with the reality that I've come to bring a food that doesn't perish, that endures to everlasting life, that only the Son of Man can give you. And verse 28 says, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may, do, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Now this is a New Year's Eve, we talk about foundational things and let's launch the year off on the right footing. For me, this is the scripture, that if you're building on anything else, it won't stand. It will be shaken, as we heard in class this morning. What can be shaken will be shaken, and it'll be shaken for the sole purpose of revealing what can't be shaken. That's the point of building on the rock, which is obeying Jesus Christ. It's so that we can be, without doing anything, just by the fact of everything shaking around us, and we're not shaking because we know what we've been rooted into, and it's not Jesus isn't shaking. God's not in heaven like, oh, man, they're really getting crazy. He knows exactly what can be shaken, and he will not be shaken. Verse 29, this is the scripture. Jesus answered and says to them, they say, what, what, what can we do to do the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work of God. Forget about 
the, they saw the miracle. They went, we want to do this stuff too. Like, if you're not going to feed us again because you're telling us to go find this other food, well, then how can we do what you did? Because we'd like the, we like being able to just get this bread when we only have two fish and a couple of loaves. This, how do we do these kinds of works? And he kind of answers their question, but you know he's not talking to that. He's talking to a deeper reality of food that they were still. He told them, don't be impressed with the natural food, but they still were. And like, we want to be able to do that too. And Jesus says to them, this is the work, the work of God. That you believe in him whom he sent. We have developed a sort of sliding scale of degrees of belief. Let me just say that. I have. <laughs> I think we all have to some degree. Oh, I believe. Uh, we, we meter this thing. We, I'm a 80%. I'm a 90%. I'm a, I'm a almost... Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about the work that he has come, the work that will destroy the works, plural, of the evil one, is to believe in the one who was sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in, in him, Messiah, whom the Father sent. Verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform them that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Again, they're just looking for more of the cool stuff. The food suddenly multiplied. The, the healings, the miracles, the things that Jesus did by the thousands that said if you could record all that he did, you couldn't fit him in a book that would fit on the planet. That could be metaphorical. But he did a lot more than what's recorded in Scripture. They asked for another sign. So then what sign will you perform then? Having just been so enamored with what they just saw out in the wilderness, they still are looking for that tickle that comes when because the, there can be moments of like, oh, I believe, I just saw. But then when that's old and there's other things that happened that didn't really make sense and that confused you and that, you know, prayers that were prayed that didn't get answered the way that the miracle prayer did. And you can get easily brought into this place of unbelief so easily. And Jesus is talking about Belief that's not just for a moment, belief that's for a lifetime, belief that produces eternal life in you, which is that I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that God raised you from the dead, and I'm not changing my mind no matter what I see or I do not see. That's what Jesus is talking about, and he calls that the work of God, because if God doesn't produce that in you, you won't have it. That's a supernatural miracle to believe no matter what your eye sees that it's still going to be according to what God said. That is the work of, that's the fingerprint of God himself on your heart saying, keep on believing. Don't change your mind now. That's the work of God. To believe. I mean, he answers all that they're asking for in one little phrase. But let me just finish with this rest of the text. They said, what more, what more will you do? What other sign will you tickle us with? And he, Jesus says, listen, our father, oh, they, they still going. They say, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's almost like they're challenging him. Like, what do you mean you're done doing that cool stuff? Like, what do you mean you're done making five into enough to feed 5,000? Like, imagine the money that can be made there. Can you imagine when human nature begins to think about an event like that? And thousands of people witnessed it. This wasn't done in a back corner behind a shed. This was a whole thousands and thousands, a multitude of people that were already interested and already desiring Jesus are now shown this is also what we can do. And they just saw this expanding into this massive thing. And Jesus was not trying to do that yet. He was trying to say, listen, focus on the work at hand. The work of God is that you would believe. 
and not give it up as soon as somebody challenges it and says, well, it's not really worth believing in because, listen, where's the sign? Where's the miracle? Where's the wonder? Great when they're there. He's saying when it's not there, will you still believe? Will you still cling to the truth of who I am? Jesus says this in verse 30, sorry, verse 32. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. He said that manna that you call the bread from heaven, that natural stuff that kept you alive in the wilderness that you were so impressed with that you still are in love with this and wondering why I'm not doing it now. He said the bread of heaven, sorry, verse 32 still. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. That's why our food pantry is called the bread of life. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will, invite, I will by no means cast away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus just disclosed the whole purpose out of his mouth for why he's there, why he's doing what he's doing. And these poor people were missing that this was the food that would satisfy their souls. That it wasn't more miracle bread, it wasn't more visual stimulus, oohs and ahs. It was a simple belief that he's the one that God has sent to be the bread. Verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is it not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered, thankfully we just had Christmas last week, so if you didn't know how that happened, we covered that during the Immaculate Conception. So this is how he came down from heaven. He says, is this not Jesus, Joseph's son, his father, mother, we know. How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of this world. This is foundational stuff. We can get sidetracked with a whole bunch of other stuff. When you fully, that's the only, when you're fully trusting in God, believing that if he doesn't come through, <laughs> no escape plan, no backup strategy, strategy, it's you, Jesus. 
and we're fully trusting you. When that happens in a person's heart, I believe it just pulls on heaven. It pulls enough to feed 5,000 out of just a couple fish and a couple loaves. It pulls miracles that we know we need to see because natural things can't solve certain natural problems. They need supernatural intervention. They need that conduit that comes from heaven through the presence within us, his spirit, and begins to just minister to this lost and dying world through miraculous things, through things that you can't reproduce with enough Hollywood uh, tricks and mirrors and all that they have to be able to CGI, make things look. I'm talking about the real thing. I'm talking about miraculous things that no one can do anything except say, wow, that was impossible with men. But with God, it's possible to believe in him no matter what. That is the work that we're called to do. That's what the world has to see in us. They have to see us striving and, and believing and staying to the course with this inner grit that says, I don't care what it looks like on the outside, I'm going forward. It doesn't matter who's behind me, worrying, worrying about who's behind me. It matters who's in front of me. It matters where I'm going, not where I've been. It matters who's calling me to take the next step, not the one who I'm afraid is working overtime behind me to trip us up. This is a walk of forward faith in Christ. And I just want to start the new year argue it didn't really start yet but let's just stand together I want to start the new year by believing in something that's bigger than just my own good ideas or the experts good ideas Lord Jesus I thank you for your spirit that comes to live on the inside of all who will confess that you are Lord that will believe in their heart that God has raised you from the dead that in that moment we're saved and then we're called to walk into a life called faith. A life where we believe no matter what they say about our belief. A confidence that comes knowing that we have believed the one who's able to preserve what we've entrusted him with until the day of redemption. God, we trust you with the details that are deep. The ones that are just maybe peripheral and seemingly insignificant. And everything in between, Lord, we know that if we trust you, if we believe you, we invite heaven to work in our lives. We leave a door open for you to work in our hearts and in our minds, transforming us, through reminding us, through bringing back to our memory the words that you've spoken. Lord, I thank you so much they've been written down. I thank you, Lord, that we can, in moments of confusion and doubt, we can go straight to this word that you have written out for us and we can find you there. We can still hear and sense the breath that you breathed as these words were written down and recorded for us. Lord, may we never be talked into looking outside of your truth when it comes time to stand on what's not gonna shake. Lord, I just pray that we would uh, reevaluate in whatever way we need to. That you'd teach us, Holy Spirit, that you'd show us where it is. The beautiful presence of heaven, that the mighty works of heaven can be unleashed and revealed in the lives of every person here and in our extended families that we represent. Lord, we know that you did not come to leave things as they were. You came to bring life in the midst of the death to bring light in the middle of the darkness, to put that light inside of us so that we can go out and shine. We know it is time to shine. We're told to rise and shine for the light has come upon us. Deep darkness might cover the peoples of this world, but your light has risen upon us, Lord.
God, we just pray that you'd give boldness to us like never before, that there would be a confidence in us that would not shy away from shining your love and light to this world. Lord, we thank you that you are in this room with us, that you are in our hearts, and as we leave this physical place, you are as much with us wherever we go as you are with us right now with our eyes closed praying to you. We thank you, Lord. Remind us of that. Remind us, Lord, when we see the need that we have all who we need because, Lord, we know where to go. We know where to go to find the bread that satisfies us, Lord, in a way that the things of this world cannot satisfy us. Thank you that you are the place, that you are our strong tower. You are the place we can run to. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Jesus' mighty name, God's people said, amen. Amen. If you could use, if there's anyone here this morning that would just want to be to the front for some prayer, we have a team that will meet you up here. Whatever it is, whatever it is, we'd love a chance to just agree with you, send faith to you. Amen.